This morning is Sunday. It's May 11th. As you already have heard several times, it's Mother's Day. If you are the note-taking kind of person, uh, our message this morning is called The Gravity of Love. The Gravity of Love. Sorry that I don't have bulletins for you. We uh, had an interesting Thursday through Saturday, and we didn't get them done. So that's what mercy is. Y'all give me a little mercy? Oh, yeah. All right. So uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy. We'll be in Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter. If you don't have Bibles, bring one next Sunday. Mr. Uh, Stevens. Yeah. Look on with your friends. to give you a chance to share another very godly principle. So in Deuteronomy 5, you will find around the 16th verse, actually at the 16th verse, a very from God. So the Hebrews' commandments are called mitzvahs. And a mitzvah is not a commandment in the sense that uh, do not speed is a commandment. That's a law to us that implies penalty if you don't keep it. To the Hebrews, a mitzvah is a command that directs you in life. It's not meant just to show you that there's a punishment if you don't get it right. It is meant to show you the direction of your life. In other words, we see... Some rules, we look at them, we say 55. Wow, that means I can't drive 56. And then we do it anyway, and you pay a price if you get caught, right? The Hebrews would look at a commandment from God and say, He's directing me towards life. The thought of penalty is secondary. It's, it's maybe even third or fourth or tenth on the list. Well, let's look at this commandment. It says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, many people know that the Apostle Paul quoted this and said it was the only commandment with a promise. He meant that it was the only commandment that immediately had a promise following it because all of the commandments had promises. All of them promised that if you do these things, you will find life. But on this commandment, God wanted to put the promise very close to the statement, because this is an important one. Now, I want to ask you, why do children need to be told to honor their parents? You would think that would be the most natural thing in the world. When you're born, somebody's there taking care of you, right? When uh, you're helpless, powerless, somebody sustained you and fed you and nourished you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. doesn't matter how hard your childhood was, somebody did that. So you wouldn't think that you would have to tell children to do that. The Bible presumes something, though. It presumes that there is a gravity or a weight to love, and that it always flows from the top down. In other words, if you're a parent, you have experienced yourself God's love. How did you experience God's love? Well, it started the day somebody put a bottle in your mouth and began to take care of you. God used a vessel on the earth to take care of you. Now, you learned that as you grew older, and then you decided to have children. And they have to learn it as well. Love always flows downhill. You do not see very many scriptures that even hint at the fact that a parent needs to love their child. Because by the time you're a parent, you have already supposed to have learned what love is from the example God your Father has given you. But from the time children are very young, you have to teach them to love mom and dad. How many of you know it does not come naturally? Boy, what awful teenage years. Something that you've changed its diaper 
It's vomited on you. You have fed it. All of those things looks at you and thinks you're stupid. Right? Oh, I remember. I remember the amazement in my parents' face. And I learned, boy, those words, they're powerful. They cause reactions in mom and dad. And I even learned to manipulate it a little bit. Now, I know none of you that have teenagers have any idea what I'm talking about. I would suspect that what God is looking for in a parent-child relationship from this commandment is that God has shown a parent, somebody who's matured, his love. And then what he demonstrated to them, he expects them to replicate in the next generation. So what he does is he shows Eric love in the hopes that Eric will teach Judah love. And this will carry on for generation to generation. I think one of the reasons that Mother's Day is so special to all of us is even if you remove the emotional sense from it, let's, let's do away for just a moment with any hormonal aspects, any warm, fuzzy feelings about child rearing, and let's be honest. Before you ever had babies and you saw somebody change a baby's diaper, did you wonder why anybody in the world would sign up for this job? Oh, man, I did. Then after I had uh, the privilege of raising some children, and I noticed that things like sleep deprivation and financial stress, the toll that it takes on your bodies, all the loss of freedom that you have, why would anybody anywhere do that? You can kind of understand this modernist movement that is less and less children. It is an enormous sacrifice, is it not? Horrible, enormous sacrifice. In fact, that's why mothers have babies, look right at the fathers and say, we're not doing this again. Mm -mm. Then time goes by and God begins to work. And, you know, I know at least one woman who wasn't going to have any more and is now on the force. It's always funny when people start talking about permanent forms of contraception, you know. I just smile and wait, you know. I have known so many people who said, I am never doing this again, and two, three times more, they're doing it again. Why would anybody sign up for such a task? I think one of the reasons that we naturally have an affinity for our mothers, admit it or not, good mother, not good mother, makes no difference, is because when you look at this job, it's among the most difficult in the world. There is no question. And if you don't know this yet, because maybe you're young and haven't been around lots of babies, See any couple, any couple in the first six weeks that they have a child, and you see people that are worn out. It's amazing. Gabe and Debbie are as vibrant as any couple that I've ever known. Strong, virile young people that can go conquer the world. They had Grayson, who is a pretty phenomenal child, and they looked like they had been running marathons every day without sleep or eating for six weeks. That is a normal, normal thing. Turn with me then to uh, Romans 5. I think we love our mothers because they demonstrated love to us in their actions. Even if you have a mom that maybe didn't demonstrate a lot of love to you verbally, maybe didn't demonstrate a lot of love to you in later years in your life or let you down somewhere, the fact that you're here and you came out of her body and you're not dead now means that she demonstrated love in a very Jewish way through her actions. You know, on that note, before I read you Romans 5, a couple times in the New Testament, in Matthew and Mark and in Luke, somebody 
asked Jesus a question and he begins to speak to him about honoring your father and mother and loving your neighbor as yourself. In every case, if you study what he says, it's always action-oriented. He says, okay, you still like something. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Another time he's rebuking Pharisees because they say that they honor their father and mother but don't take care of their basic needs. I would submit to you as we move forward that love from a biblical standpoint has more to do with what someone did towards you than how they felt about you or how you felt about them. Have you ever been very loving to someone who didn't quite understand it? You did something that was godly, something that was sweet, and maybe they didn't get it? You know, it's very godly to uh, discipline your children. Right before most of you walked in today, I smacked Gabe right upside his head. He needed it. It's the very best thing we could do in his life. If we leave that uncorrected for 20 years, Gabe will not be a good human being. Folly's bound up in the heart of a child. That doesn't mean we need to be abusive, but he needed that. And you know what? He came and hugged me and said, thank you, Daddy. I'm, I'm going to be good. Yesterday, he knocked out his teeth wrestling. I don't want him to knock out the rest of them. And he was wrestling on the front row of the church. His attitude changed immediately. That's an act of love, but he may not have understood that in the moment, you think? Yeah, love is about what we do. Watch how Romans 5 says this. It, it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, let's pick up in the sixth verse. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, powerless, doesn't that bring to mind a helpless baby? When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in a state of powerlessness, helplessness, if you will, and a state that is sinful, bad, Christ demonstrated love for us, or God did through Christ. I think the reason that we enjoy and like days like Mother's Day is because in its very heart, what you're admiring is a godly action. It cannot be any more godly than to give up control of your own body for nine months, to commit to take care of a human being for as long as it takes for them to be self-sufficient. A long time ago, it was more like 13. Today, it seems to be somewhere around 45 or 50 years old before somebody's self-sufficient. To give up your schedule, to give up all of those things, and for something that cannot repay you, for something that's powerless, helpless, and get this, even hostile to you. Everything you do for a child that cries and yells at you. I tried to give Judah his first bath, and I needed earplugs. I was trying to do something kind, and he felt as if he was being tortured. Why? Because he's a week old, that's why. He has to be taught how to reciprocate the love that I and Jennifer began to show him the moment that he was born. It's not natural. The natural flow of love is that it moves from the highest order right on down to the lowest. It is completely unnatural, you might call it supernatural, for it to reverse in its direction. And see, God has shown love to the entire creation. The book of Acts says in the 14th chapter that he gave crops in its season, that he gave rain to both the righteous and the unrighteous. He did those things as acts of love for the creation. That is very natural. That's the natural order of state. 
But when the creation then starts to turn back towards the originator of love and reciprocate it, that is supernatural. Say something with me. Demonstrate and replicate. That's what God wants from us. He wants to demonstrate love in us like He did with Jesus so that we can then replicate that love with other people. And what you have is a catalyst of change on the planet. And it just so happens that it's Mother's Day, and all of that began with somebody who first demonstrated love to you by feeding you, clothing you, putting diapers on you, all of those things, and now we learn to replicate that kind of love. When you think about a mother's love, it is an amazing thing. I'm a Fox News junkie. And I occasionally have seen people that went into schools and shot folks, people that did horrible things, and it is always a matter of time. Sometimes it takes six weeks, sometimes six months. Sometimes it's not until a jury is about to carry out a sentence. But they find their parents. A father very often can say, I don't know what was wrong with the child. You know, I tried, but he just was never a good kid. You never hear that from the mothers. What you always hear from the mother is, I love him and he's still little Johnny to me. It's what you hear always. There is something about a mother's love that allows to overlook sin, to overlook flaws, all of those things, and demonstrate love in action. I'm saying that there's something that is very godly about that. In fact, when we look at Jesus' life, we see that over and over and over. He is the demonstration of God's love to us while we were powerless and still sinful. It means you didn't deserve it. He loved you like a mother would. Turn with me to 1 John. We're going to read two scriptures in 1 John, and then we're going to move on to a larger point. The gravity of love. I said 1 John, but I want you to go to 1 Peter. We're all in the same neighborhood. That means not two scriptures, but three before we move on. You can live with that, can't you? My mom was watching, and she said I could do it. In 1 Peter, we'll be in the third chapter and the 18th verse. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Jesus, the righteous, died for us, the unrighteous. He demonstrates love that we might replicate love. Go to 1 John. In 1 John, we'll be in the third chapter. In the 16th verse. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus demonstrated love and we ought to replicate that love. Is that point pretty abundantly clear? Then you can write down 1 John 4, 9 through 10, but you don't have to read it. Before there was a king of the Jews, before the God of the universe took up residence in bodily form in a first century carpenter named Yeshua, who others said was the Hamashiach, before those things happened, God first had to build a nation. And before he could build a nation, he first had to start with a human race. 
So before we get to the end, even though it says the Lamb was slain before the foundations of the world, and God had always intended to bring about Yeshua's ministry on earth, even though that had always been intended, He first had to build a nation, and before building a nation, had to start with people. That's how this had to start. So turn with me to Genesis 3. First mama in the Bible, and look at the thankless job she gets. I worked very hard to avoid preaching the same Thursday message about Hannah and Mother Mary and all of those scriptures you've heard all of your life. And it's fun and I love them and I suppose once a year we can knock the dust off of them and do it again. But I wanted to look at this from a little different perspective, one that gives you a chance to demonstrate the godly kind of love to other people that your mother did for you the day that you were born. Can you say amen to that thing? Okay. In the third chapter, you know what's already happened here. We'll start in the 14th verse. Start just above that. The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and, what's that word there? Hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. It's an interesting point that God does not take the time to say, Adam's offspring and Eve's offspring. He says, your offspring. If you want to see the definition of something that is possessive, watch a mother with her baby when it's born. This is true even in nature. Anybody want to volunteer to go take a cub from a mama bear? Your offspring and hers. The first woman that God ever put on the planet was given the enormous responsibility of becoming the mother of all who would be alive. Can you imagine? I thought our jobs were tough. We have three little knotheads to raise. She had to begin the human race. When you think about the way in which she did this, it will give us a little grace for our moms. When Mary finds out that she's going to become, I keep saying Mary, I'm sorry, Eve finds out she's going to become the mother of all the living, what's just happened? She has messed up royally. She starts off her ministry in complete failure. Did God kill her for that? Not at all. He put a big mark on her forehead and make her walk around with a scarlet letter? Mm -mm. What did he do? He showed mercy. You know, this is a perfect equipping for a mother. Realizing that you failed in many areas and yet were shown mercy makes you eminently qualified then to do the same for other people. In fact, all ministry seems to flow this way. In fact, you might say that God demonstrated His love to Eve by in the midst of her failure giving her a ministry that is life to the whole world so that that would be a message she could pass on to her children. See, all of our mothers have participated in that very same promise because they all gave hopes, gave birth to children in hopes that they would become something great. Have you ever met a mother who said, you know, maybe this baby in my belly will be a crack addict? That was their aspirations for their child. You ever seen a mother who said, you know, 
Maybe my kid will be a bigger failure than anybody that I know. Mothers don't do that, do they? In fact, they agonize and they grieve over every wrong decision their children make, don't they? I have to be careful at this point in my life what I share with my parents. Uh, They're watching. I love them. I love them, but they will worry and cause themselves deaths that they don't have to die over events in my life. And you know what? God's with them. He helped them through all of those same struggles that he's helping me with. But it's in their nature. It's in every parent's nature to be concerned about their children's future, isn't it? That's a very godly concern. But what we need to do with it, that's a very special thing. God demonstrates his love to us so that we can replicate it. And in what circumstances did he first demonstrate his love to you? In the midst of your failure while you were powerless. And now we have to replicate that for other people. You can learn that from Mary, but I keep saying Mary. You can learn that from Eve. The two women are pretty similar. You can learn that from Eve. Yeah, Matt's mouthing it back there. Eve. We can just go with Hebrew and call her M about that. You can learn that from Eve. But as time goes on, she has even greater calling. God didn't just want to build a planet full of people, all descended from Eve. That's wonderful that he did that, but that was not his ultimate goal. Because remember, his ultimate goal is to get to the king of the Jews. And before you get there, you have to start a nation. So turn with me then to Genesis 12. From Eve, we learn to demonstrate and replicate. In these few chapters that you just turned in your Bible, you've traveled about 2,000 years in human history. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years. And you know what was happening during all 2,000 of those years? Lots of painful childbirths. And any objective, non-emotional person who stood back, if you could be Spock for a minute for all you Star Trek fans, and just observe what is happening in every generation, nobody would do this. Allow your body to be stretched and torn and all of those horrible things, only to be rewarded by nights of sleeplessness, financial stress, Bodily fluids that you never wanted to become acquainted with, you know. All of those things. Nobody would do that. And yet, somewhere in your life, God demonstrated love, and you wanted to replicate it by bringing a child into the world and teaching that child. This is as godly and as instinctual as anything else in your entire lives. It's why we're so upset when we don't think it's going well. But God's been doing this for 2,000 years between the pages we turned, and you know what? We're all still here. It's happening. God is a big God. He works through all of these details. In Genesis 12, we see the beginning of a nation. And this nation has to do with God's people group, God's land or His place, and God's plan for the world. And starting in Genesis 12, looking at the first verse, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Who is going to be made into a great nation? The people of Abraham. God has picked at this point in in the creation story, of the descendants of Eve, He has picked a singular people group that He's going to work through and make into a nation. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
God demonstrated his love to Abraham so that Abraham could demonstrate it to other people. He demonstrated so that Abraham could replicate. The people group are picked. In the 13th chapter, in the 15th verse, 14th verse, says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. If you look as far as you can in every direction of the points of the compass, that's pretty big land grant, isn't it? All the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go and walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. A couple really important things here. One people group on the planet, God has decided that he's going to work through as a nation. And he's going to bless the entire world through them. And he starts with a very small, inconspicuous family, Abraham and Sarai. And what do you most know about Abraham and Sarai at this point? They can't have children. Have you ever known somebody that couldn't have children and wanted them really badly? You can shake your head if you have. Yeah. In my last church that we were a part of, a woman and her husband prayed for 14 years to have a baby. Friends, I can tell you when somebody has to wait for a long time to have a baby, that baby is pretty darn special to them, right? Jennifer and I, you know, we didn't get to wait two weeks. <laughs> All three children, I thought, surely we'll get to work at this a while. Now, pregnant immediately. There is something in striving to have children that does something in a parent's heart. I once knocked out the teeth of a child who was an only child who had been prayed for for a long time. And the wrath and fury that came down upon me from his mother and father was really disproportional to the number of teeth I knocked out. I mean, I left a few. And I didn't understand then what I understand now. There is something in us that we have had love demonstrated to us and the strongest desire comes over a couple to have children so that they can replicate what God has shown them. And they don't always know that that's what it is. They just know something's missing from their lives. They've been poured into, and now they want to pour into something. And God picks a family that cannot have children and says, I'm going to build a nation that I'm going to bless all the other nations with. How do you think they looked upon their first child? Well, just like mothers and fathers do today. They looked upon that first child in an amazing way. That's why Abraham and Sarah get in such a fight over their first baby. Because one came from her body and one didn't. Turn with me to Genesis 17. You ever been fortunate enough to love kids like they were yours even though they didn't come from your body? It's a really special thing. There is an immediate debt of love when somebody is a blood relative. Immediate debt. You feel it. You know it. Everything about you knows that it is absolutely obscene not to return the love of people that you descend from. You know that. That's why when you take a poll of people at Walmart or Food Town or something, they'll tell you that their family comes first or maybe God, family, country. And it's a very American concept. You know what is less natural? To have that kind of love for people that you don't descend from. See, in my life, I have a father 
that I am not from his body, right? So when he loved me, I knew that that was special in a way that was beyond if I had descended from him. Do you get that? See, we read this story about Ishmael. And we read it like, oh, well, Ishmael wasn't who the promise was supposed to come through. Throw him out. Right? Like it's no big deal. What if you had raised a child for 14 years? You had loved him. You had cared for him. Do you think you had big dreams for him? Listen to how God handles this situation. 17th chapter, 19th verse, and I promise this will all go towards our larger point. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household. Uh, We don't have to read further from there. They had a real concern. God, you said you were going to make us into a great nation. I only got one child. I'd like to do something with him. God said, I have plans for him, but that is not the plan that I have for you as a nation. You're going to have a child in a supernatural fashion. And that child, who is a supernatural child, born of the same promise that was given to Eve, will bring life to everyone else. Then when they get this baby, they've got to go pretend to kill him on a hill. Isn't that crazy? Of course, he wasn't a baby then. They'd had to love him for some 18-some-odd years. And why all of this? Why pick Abraham? Why build a nation in this way? In the 18th chapter, in the 19th verse, you hear these words spoken of Abraham. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Now, you know me well. I don't need an excuse to preach on Israel. I don't need an excuse to tell you about God's plan for the nations as blessed through Israel or about the Hebraic roots of our faith or any of those things. But saints, if you break this down from the very beginning, we get to a place in history where God demonstrates His love to mankind by while mankind is still sinful, still powerless, still weak in all those regards, just like a baby, He sent His own Son to us to bring us life. He demonstrated love so that we could replicate it. And then when you roll back the clock and see what all had to happen for that to happen, we had to start with one human being and build a nation full of mothers who loved their children and had high hopes for them. If you were Eve, what do you think you hoped about every baby that you had? This is the one who's going to crush the head of the enemy. If you were Sarah, what do you think you were hoping for every month? You're hoping that that month will be the month you'd find out that you were pregnant with the supernatural child. Can you imagine what you thought every day? Do you think that they loved their kids? Yeah. See, God had taught them that, and now it was their kids' job to look and see what had occurred and go, that's something to imitate. I want to replicate that everywhere I go. And in this way, the whole world would be blessed through a natural process that happens with women and their children. Do you think that's a little bit special? Do you? 
God put this in all of the creation in a way that everybody could uniquely understand. And he put one nation out there like a mother to all of the others to teach the whole world. In the same way that your mother clothed you and fed you when you didn't know what was going on, in the same way that your mother protected you when you didn't know what was going on, and in the same way you owe an instinctual debt of love to your mother, guess what? Israel did all of those same things to the entire world. Turn with me to Habakkuk 2. Anybody in here have a mother who once made a mistake? (laughs) I wondered who would admit to that. It's an easy thing to pick apart people that you're close to, isn't it? In fact, you get to an age of adolescent development where all you can see is what you think your parents did wrong. And you start to say things to them like, when I have my own kids, I'll never. And then if you live long enough, like my sister and I have, we have done those very same things to our kids. Sometimes look at each other and say, do you ever feel like you're becoming mom and dad? And that's not such a bad thing. You thought it was when you were 13. It's not now, is it? How about that? Israel has stumbled along the way. There is no question. In Habakkuk 2, starting in the second verse, it says, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Look at this shift here. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not right. But the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. You have two very strange ideas going on right before Babylonian captivity. And what you have going on is you have God speaking through a man named Habakkuk saying, hey, the same way that your mother loved you and saw hope for you, God loves this nation that he birthed and he still sees hope for it. The righteous will live by this trust. I want you to write this down on clay tablets for all the world to see. Look what he says a chapter later. And the third chapter... In second verse, he says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. Then he goes on to say wonderful things about God moving through Israel. See, it seems that the same way that a mother can hope for her child, regardless of what she sees going on in his life, God holds out hope for the one nation that he birthed to bless. All of the others. See, this reason that you love your mother and you have affection for her, I call mine after every service. Do you know what my mother tells me after every service? That was the best service, Eric. That was just wonderful. It was just wonderful. And about the fifth, sixth time, I'm like, yeah, thank you, Mom, thank you. And she just keeps going and going. Not long ago, we were talking about the professor from uh, the Ivy League school. Mom wants me to send a copy of the message to the professor. And, and, and you know what? As silly as that seems, I love that. 
I love that. And I'm not looking for praise from people. But there's somebody on this planet that I could do no wrong in their eyes. Isn't that a cool feeling? You know why you like it? Because it's godly. God is willing to overlook all of those areas in your life and credit you with righteousness if you will just live by your trust in Him. See, we don't often think of God the Father in a motherly-like fashion. And I'm not going to get all... Benny Hinn got in real trouble for saying some of these things, so I'm going to be careful not to do it like he did. But when we look at male and female personalities, what we are seeing is all of humanity wrapped up in a male and female personality. I'm not saying God's male and female. Please don't quote me that way. What I'm saying is He's holistic. God has got all of the goodness of all of humanity in Him. That's what He has. And this thing that we love and are naturally drawn to in our mothers, God expresses His love in that way towards us. That's why Paul picked the phrasing that he did in Romans when he said, while you were still powerless, God demonstrated His love for you. That is a very cool thing, isn't it? Back to this nation idea. Habakkuk 2 shifted gears. It said, write this down plain and on a, on a clay tablet. And it says, he's puffed up and he's arrogant and uh, uh, like a grave, he can never be satisfied. There is an enemy who wants to destroy two things. He wants to destroy the hopes of mothers for their children, right? Because that would destroy humanity. And he wants to destroy the hopes of God for his nation, Israel. See, those two things, in the hope of a mother for her children, like Eve for the one who would crush Satan, and the hope of God for his nation, that the embodiment of is Jesus and will crush Satan, all mankind's hopes lie wrapped up in those two things. If mothers quit having babies, or the nation of Israel ceased to exist, do you realize God's plan could not occur? Have you ever thought about that? Paul actually goes on to tell Timothy that women are saved in the same hope as they were in the beginning, just like Eve, through childbearing. And everyone's looked at that and goes, you know, Paul was kind of arcane. I mean, this is crazy. Paul, Paul needs to get in touch with the women's feminist movement because it sounds like he just wants everybody barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen. That is not what he's saying. He's saying that just like the very first woman selflessly sacrificed to raise children in the hopes that that child would be godly and be the one that crushes the enemy, women are still saved and restored through the same hope because we're completing the body of Christ. We're still making up the holy nation in our hopes for our children. Watch this. It's in Psalm 83. Psalm 83. There's a people group on the planet that God desires to move through. There is a place that God Himself said belonged to Him. The land belonged to Him. Like I preached last Wednesday, He called it His vineyard very often. And there is a plan that He has for them. Just like every mother has a child that she loves and a plan for His future. In the 83rd Psalm, it says, O God, do not keep silent. Be not quiet, O God. Be not still. See how your enemies are astir? How your foes rear their heads? Whose foes are we talking about? God's. Don't fall asleep on me. Help me out here. Whose foes are we talking about? God's. If you're in the South, that's G-A-W-D. God. With cunning, they conspire against your people. They're God's enemies, so who do they attack? 
God's people. You want to make a, a mother very sad? What do you do? Pick on her kids. My parents are in private school education. There is never a parent that walks in and says, you know, my kid's really the problem. It's mine. I'm sorry, we're trying to correct it at home. I know it's, it's little Johnny. They don't do that. What do they walk in and say? Problems with you, you need to learn to teach. And the problems with all those other kids out there, and my Johnny's just in with the bad crowd, don't they? When Satan wants to try to thwart the plans and purposes of God, he attacks the nation Israel. Right here, you see a switch. To see how your enemies are astir, God's enemies are astir, how your foes rear their heads. With cunning, they conspire against your people. You see some similarity there? It's a stretch, but it's Mother's Day. They, they fought against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. God has a people group. God has a place for them. And God has a plan for them. With one mind they plot together, they form an alliance against you, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites and Moab and the Hagrids. Wow, that's a Harry Potter name, huh? Gebel, Ammon, and Amalek, Philistia, with the people of Tyre. Even Assyria has joined them and lent strength to the descendants of Lot. Do to them as you did Midian, as you did to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who perished at Endor and became like refuse on the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, and all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take possession of the pasture lands of God. You know what the pasture lands of God are? Do you remember in Genesis 17 when God said, look up, look to the north, the south, the west, and the east. Everywhere that you see, go walk through the breadth of the land. I'm giving it to you. That's God's pasture land where he put his nation the same way that a mother would put a child in a place and says, this is yours. And when Satan wants to attack God, the same way the most effective thing that I could do to any of you mothers is hurt your child to hurt you, he tries to attack God's people. And when that's not successful, he tries to carve up God's pasture lands because God tied his redemptive promises for the whole world to the hope of a mother, Eve, and the hope of a nation in a specific place with a specific people group. Do you wonder why every day the news is talking about dividing up Israel? Do you wonder why every day something from the United Nations that's anti-Semitic comes forth? Yeah. See, in the same way that a mother has hopes for her child, God has hopes for Israel. And you know what's amazing? It's the fact that you and I have been included in all of those hopes. We've mistaken to mean that we've replaced them and God doesn't care about them. You know what that would be like? Me taking in one of Judah's friends, treating him as my own son, and that, that new son thinking that meant I didn't care about Judah. How ridiculous is that? That's pretty stupid, isn't it? Yeah, how about that? Uh, David goes on to say, hey, terrify those guys. Would you burn them off? God, would you just burn them? You read it. That's almost exactly what he says. So if we know then that there is something godly about the kind of love mothers express to their children, and, hear me, it is not a love that is necessarily based on just feeling, right? Warm fuzziness. It's based on the actions. It's based on doing something. And God's already demonstrated that to us 
and he demonstrated it so that we would replicate it, then watch this in 1 Timothy. Look at the Israelis that God picks. Tell me when you're in 1 Timothy. I feel very alone up here today. I can solicit an amen from Steve. <laughs> all, all the uh, T's are together in the Bible, and I still can't find it. We'll get there, though. In Timothy, we're going to be uh, in the first chapter. You know, I go play tennis with my mom every now and then. I'm very proud to say that she beats me like a drum. She beats me worse than Nick beats that instrument right there every day. And it's funny because from any other human being, I would find it difficult to take that beating, uh, particularly with the words of uh, encouragement that she gives me. Because if somebody else said it, it would be patronizing, you know? Like, my mother will crush a serve that I, I hit her. And then she'll say, your serve is so good. You just, I, I can't believe it. When did you learn to hit all those spins, Right? She beat me 6060 and then say, you, you, uh, your backhand is so beautiful. And she is sincere as could be. If Nick said that to me while we were playing, I would know that he was mocking me, right? <laughs> you got to love the fact that there is somebody that is accepting of you in your present condition, don't you? There have been some difficult times in my life, and a lot of them have centered around family difficulties. I know that makes our family different from yours, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, the most painful things that happen to you in life happen by those that you love the most. That's what makes them painful. It takes a friend to truly be able to wound you. A stranger can walk out there and make obscene gestures all day, and I, I truthfully, I think it was funny. If you walked out there and did that, I would be very hurt because we have a relationship and we love each other. I want to encourage you today as we're talking about a mother's hope for her children is that children need to have hope for their mothers still too. There's never a place in life where we need to get where we are not doing what the Bible tells us, which is reciprocating the love that's been demonstrated to us. And 1 Timothy 5.8 says if we can't do that for our own family, that's not what we're reading. It's okay. I'm just quoting another scripture from Timothy. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, if we can't do that for our own family, we're worse than the unbelievers. Why would that be? It was your own family that first demonstrated love to you. So I want two things to happen as we begin to read this. I want children who are estranged from their parents to begin to have hope for their parents, right? And then I want parents who have always had dreams and hopes for their children and maybe don't see them fulfilled at the moment, to remember this way in which God works. Are you on 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy 1. Look at the 15th verse. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You remember when we were talking about babies and I said, who would want that job? If you remove emotion from it, who would want that job? Imagine that your life's mission is to go save not bunny rabbits, not something sweet, innocent, pure, not just drowning people who are asking for help, but I'm going to go send you to save all of the people whose offenses are piling up against God. Would you want that task? Probably not. 
Do you know how I know you wouldn't want it? You have a hard time with it when you run into it in Walmart or anywhere else, just like I did. Of whom I am the worst. Who's speaking here, saints? Paul, do you think this is false humility? I've read this for years and thought, oh, that's Paul. He knows how much we love him and he's just, you know, it's almost tongue-in-cheek. False humility. Do you remember where Paul got his start? The first time Paul is mentioned in the Scriptures, his name's not Paul. And if you'd been this wicked, you'd want your name to be changed too. He was standing with the name Saul over a man's coat while they were killing a Christian who had done nothing but show love for Jesus. You thought your kids were bad. You ever see those guys uh, on the news that have gathered around themselves lots of wives and went into a compound? Right? I don't know why that happens every decade or so it makes it on the news, but I got saved during uh, a year in which there was a whole Waco-Wacko thing going on. And uh, it was a big deal, and it was in the news. You know why that's particularly heinous to you? Because it's in the name of God, right? Wickedness in the name of God, like insult upon insult. Imagine that you're Saul's mama for a minute and you understand the sin in which he's committing. He's not just dragging people to prison. He's not just dragging Christians to prison. He's dragging people to prison in the name of God on orders from the high priest. That's particularly heinous, isn't it? Yeah, we might send Geraldo Rivera to go look very important while interviewing him, huh? Perfectly primped, Geraldo Rivera. Yeah. Can you imagine how difficult this would be? And listen what the man says. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ, might, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. See, just like a child's taught to honor their parents who first loved them and then they've learned to reciprocate that, Paul has got the revelation. I was the worst of sinners, and yet for that reason God's love was given to me with patience, and now I give him glory and, do you hear that? Honor. See, there's something that we've all learned from our moms. We've learned that love was demonstrated to us, and now it's time for us to go replicate that. Paul got this, and he applied those same principles to God, his Father. He said that God demonstrated this love to him, and now, that's why he was chosen, and he says, uh, now, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Would that give you a little hope? for those that you love and aren't doing all that well? The worst of sinners was chosen as an example for a specific reason. To give you a little hope for your life? How about this one? This, this has shook me. By the way, when we say Paul, Paul was an Israeli. 
Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's still part of that nation that God has, has his eye on, like a mother has her eye on their child. Now, here's another one. Some people call him the head of the church, right? In fact, there's a little golden seat that they carry around so a paunchy old man can sit on it and claim to be God on earth, basically. But it didn't start that way. It started with a humble Hebrew fisherman who was a member of the nation of Israel. And listen to this. It's in John 21. It'll be the last scripture I ask you to turn to today. Well, I thank you that there were no radical applause at that. Did you hear that Paul said to Timothy that God had unlimited patience? Did you hear those words? Isn't that, isn't that great? I always found it amazing that my mother could act equally shocked every time I did something that was disrespectful. Every time. In fact, as a little kid, and I don't want to tell you too much about it, but I suspect anybody that's ever raised little boys especially, your mind doesn't have to stretch too far to venture as to what I'm talking about. There were things that I did that were crude. And every time, Eric, is that the way we act? Every time. As I got a little older and a little more articulate, I said, (laughs) apparently so. Unlimited patience. When we look at our moms, we see something about God. How many times have you been beat down with this lie of the enemy? You asked for forgiveness for that last week. He's not listening this week. Unlimited patience. God will still wash you, still care for you, still nurture you, in the same way that a mother sees a kid make the same mistake over and over and over, and sometimes they're stern discipline, but they never give up on them. Watch this example of that, of a godly kind of love. In John 21, 15th verse. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. By the way, are you getting this exchange? Do you love me? Yes. Then go love them. Demonstrate and replicate. Over and over and over is what he's saying. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. What circumstances did this occur in? Peter has denied Jesus, and that with some fisherman language. The guy who was chosen by Rabbi Yeshua walked with him for three and a half years saw miracles, and actually his own two feet had walked on water, denied that he knew his name. And now Jesus is restoring him. How many times, especially in your adolescence, did you all but spit in your parents' face? Did they ever deny? I've even joked about this, and I'm sorry that I have. But I joked about the idea, oh, anybody know those are my kids? But I was never serious about it. 
Did you ever do anything that you would think your parents wouldn't want anybody to know you were their kids? Yeah, I did too. But they didn't do that, did they? There's a godly kind of love in that. If this were me and I were dealing with Peter, I would have thrown him away. There is no question that I would not have put up with this kind of disloyalty. But God does because he shows unlimited patience. And he's demonstrating that for a reason. What did he tell Peter to do three times? Replicate what I've just done for you. Peter, I'm doing what is necessary to feed you. I'm doing what's necessary to nurture you, to love you. Those are ways that Jews show love. Love is not just an emotion to Jews. Love is what you do. And he says, Peter, I've done all of those things. If you love me, you will do this for who? Them. I would suspect, I would go ahead and just venture to say, that the way that you could bring your mother the most honor today is not a flower. It's not a phone call, and all those things are wonderful, and if you don't do them, you're stupid. You need to do them. It's just not worth the repercussions if you don't do it, to start with. But you should do something sweet for your mom. But in God's eyes, this whole thing was about taking a woman's hopes and dreams, her selfless love displayed in children, those children learning then to reciprocate that back towards her and towards God, building a nation of people who did that, blessing the whole world through that nation so that nobody would have to perish. We would all have God's love demonstrated to us and we would learn to replicate it to others. That's how this whole plan of salvation works. All the rest are just details. If you really want to bring your mother honor today, go out and demonstrate the same kind of love to other people that she showed you. He said, but my mom was kind of a failure, Eric. She's in jail right now. My mom, you don't understand, she ran out on me. Or you don't understand, my mom was harsh. Yeah, all of those things are feelings. Some of them are actions. But you are still here. She gave you birth. And for some time period, she had to choose your welfare over hers. That's why you're here. Everybody else got abortions. There was love that was demonstrated. Our job when love is demonstrated, the gravity of love is that it flows downhill. Now that we've received it, it needs to flow to someone else. And if you really want to be supernatural, then you need to generate some of it yourself back in all of those other directions. Does that make sense, thanks? See, I think that the gospel is not nearly as complicated as some have made it to be. I think we need to do for others what Jesus has done for us. And I think that the way to honor your mother, honor her memory if she's not living, is go love people in the same way that she once showed love to you. And if you didn't have a good mother, make up for it by showing more love. Eve loved you. You know she loved you because she served you through her life. Sarah, Abram's wife, she loved you because her life's mission was to form a nation through her selfless acts that would bless you. Israel loved you because they served you. Jesus loved you. He gave his very life for you. And your mama loved you. That's how you're here. Our job then is to go demonstrate and replicate. Say amen. amen. Stand to your feet. Today you're going to, you won't beat anybody to Piccadilly, but.
You did get out five minutes early. That's very rare. Very rare. On Father's Day, I'll take that five minutes and go five minutes long. Saints, I love you all. Today was a bit uh, different in our service, but I felt a breakthrough during worship. And aside from our message, and it's Mother's Day, we needed to cover some details. I'm in love with Israel. That's always going to be a part of the message. If I could share anything with you, honestly, anything at all, the overwhelming feeling in me, don't walk around with a frown and don't magnify your problems. Don't do it. Because God is working on our behalf. I, I believe that with all of my heart. It's not just a preacher's thing that you say. He's working on the behalf of the people in this room. And if you look in the details of even what's going on now, you will find something to praise Him about. I promise that. And when you look back in retrospect, what you don't want to say and what you don't want to do is what happened so much. I couldn't see what he was doing then, and I was down, and I was upset, and I was mad at God about this, but I understand now. How much better would it be to experience the blessing all the way through? Uh, we'll do a funeral this week for one of Bob's friends, one of my friends named Don. I hate that. Death is a monster. But you know, there was a blessing in it. Don died with his best friend's hand in his hand, you know? Uh, my grandma has got cancer. My sister mentioned it earlier. That is horrible. I hate that. But there's a blessing in it. I never saw anybody in my life serve like my grandmother does, right? We've enjoyed that. We can continue to. Also, the person who's telling me about it herself has been healed of cancer. So there's hope there. When I see and every, I saw a young man today that I was worried about because it's Mother's Day and his mother's not here. But you know what? God's done such a miracle in his heart that he stopped on the way and bought flowers for every woman in the church. There is stuff to praise about. may have one child not doing well, but you've got others doing well. There's a lot to praise about. I don't know what the families of the apostles went through, but how would you react if somebody came and said, for the next three and a half years, I'm not going to work. I'm going to follow around this teacher. Uh, by the way, would you take care of my wife and kids? Wow. Yeah. God works through a myriad of ways. And it hurts when they're not doing all that well. But I promise, it's not the end. It's not over. Right before I got born again, I mean, the week before I got born again, I broke a young man's jaw and was so drunk that I couldn't walk. The week before I got born again. The only thing that kept my mother alive, sane, during that time, was she knew very little of what was happening. It's amazing what a week can do. Let's praise God in the middle of this and see what next week brings. Can y'all say amen to that? And if you're aware of a struggle in somebody's life, give them a shoulder. Help them. Help them. Right? I got a chance to talk with my buddy CJ this week, and it helped me. Right? He's a survivor, huh? Yeah. Strong little man. God does amazing things if we give him a chance. Y'all want to pray with the belief that God will do amazing things? Yeah. And when you leave here, of course, you're going to go thank your mother, but what else are you going to do? Demonstrate what she's done for you with a great big smile. That is an amazing thing. And through that action, God will bless it. I love tithes, but I love smiles more. I, I, I promise that. It's a wonderful thing to write a check. You know what's more wonderful? And I'm not saying yes to either or. 
<laughs> you know what's more wonderful? What is more wonderful is to go sacrificially give up your life. It really is. And you'll find blessing in it, I promise. You'll join the hands of the people around you. Let's act like we're a family today. I'm separated from my mom. Michelle's separated from her mom. We're a long ways away. But we're not separated from what they taught us. We're not separated from the feelings. And I can go do that for other people. Every time I beat Judah in tennis, I'll praise him on his backhand. 